Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. Today, I talk with Scranton, Pennsylvania Mayor Paige Cognetti. She told me what it's like to lead the hometown of President Biden and TV's The Office. She's an Oregon native, we went to the same college, and an alum of Harvard Business School and President Obama's administration. She moved to Scranton with her husband and hasn't looked back. We hear her incredible story of how she got involved first in school district, then city politics, following serious financial scandals. Now she's leading ambitious initiatives to help her community. She also shared the best sights and food in Scranton that will leave you happier than Jim and Pam. Enjoy. Mayor Paige Cognetti, welcome to an honorable profession. It is so good to be seeing you today. I am so excited to be sitting with you in person. I know. We are are live from Washington, D.C. at the New Deal Conference, where we've been engaging on all kinds of big ideas. But I want to talk about your city, Scranton. We all have a vision of Scranton, thanks to a certain TV show, thanks to a president who often talks about it. But can you tell us all what it what it's like beyond a presidential birthplace and a office park where there's love and hijinks? Of course. So we love being the hometown of the office and also the hometown of the president of the United States. Those are two badges we wear proudly um, and are very excited for that. Scranton is a town of 80,000 people. We are only 100 miles from New York City. We're 100 miles from Philadelphia. And we are nestled in the Poconos Mountains. It's a beautiful, beautiful place where industry really thrived in the mid-19th century. And we really, you know, the city built up on hard work. It built up on iron, built up on coal, built up on textiles. And there's been ups and downs of the economy, as you can imagine, since that time. But it is a city that is close-knit. It is built on family, built on community relationships, and it's an incredible place to have a family business, raise a family. We have five universities and colleges, incredible hospitals, and it's really an interesting place because it's this nexus between all of these other big East Coast cities where you've got a city feel, we have great arts and culture, but you're nestled in the Poconos and you can be at the lake in 10 minutes. That is so interesting. But you are not a Scranton native. Grew up in Portland, went to the University of Oregon Honors College that I also attended, and so go Ducks, and then went to Harvard Business School. So how did you end up in Scranton? So um, it's very exciting, of course, that we're both Oregon alumni. I love this about about our conversation today. (laughs) I moved from Oregon out to Washington, D.C. in 2005. I 
realized um, after I'd gone to the University of Oregon and studied English literature, realized that I didn't want to become an English professor like I thought I, I did at one time. I wanted to get involved in politics and government. A dear friend of mine from high school was living in Washington working for a senator, so I did as, as many of us do when you come to D.C. You basically bring a, a suitcase and a pillow and camp out on couches until somebody gets you a job. And that first job for me was going up to do fundraising on a congressional campaign for a challenger in 2005. It was up in the Scranton area. I was driving back and forth, um, basically the New York border of Pennsylvania down to Scranton, back and forth, cutting my teeth on congressional fundraising. I'd never done anything like that before and uh, met my now husband on um, one of those journeys back and forth between Scranton and the, the campaign house. But after that, I did some more congressional fundraising, came back to D.C., ended up doing presidential campaigns, first Hillary Clinton's campaign, and then the um, general campaign in 2008 for Barack Obama out of Philadelphia, so the statewide campaign. I was very, very fortunate that I was able to be on the transition team after President Obama won, and from there worked at the transition and then the Treasury Department for the first term under Secretary Geithner and under Secretary Lael Brainerd. So was able to really get a view of how policy is made, especially policy during a time of crisis. It was an incredible opportunity for me and something I draw on now all of the time, having seen uh, these policymakers make very difficult decisions uh, throughout that first term, especially during the financial crisis. After Treasury, went to business school for a couple years, was in uh, New York in finance for a couple years before marrying my husband in 2016 and settling down in Scranton. First was on the school board, so you know always always goes back to local, always always goes back to school boards, and then uh, became mayor in 2019. Well, elected mayor 2019, and have been serving since January 2020. You know, I think there's an interesting perspective that you can give as some people have moved out of cities and to smaller communities and they're probably looking to get engaged and sort of how do you, how did you build your life in Scranton and sort of end up in this leadership role? Cause there's this always a sense of like, well, I'm, but I'm new to the community or I'm an outsider. So maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should wait my turn. But like, how did you, how did you engage with Scranton to make it, to make it your home and a place that you got to represent? I really took the kind of ask anyone for coffee advice that you get when, when you're in college and grad school. I took that to heart and I asked a lot of people for a lot of coffees. And the culture in Scranton is not is not so is not as networking based as it would be in a place like DC or New York. So I know I had some people who'd maybe never been asked to coffee before who took up the opportunity and they were thrilled to to be asked, I think. So I made a lot of contacts, a lot of friends, and got to know kind of the landscape in Scranton, how, how are decisions made, who is in economic development, who is in education, what are the industries that are making this place tick, what are the, what's the community like, who are the community leaders um, that are the underpinning of the community. I, I never expected to necessarily run for office, I, I certainly didn't to have my eyes on City Hall, I just wanted to make an impact and figure out where I could do the most good. And the school board, um, when there was an opportunity that presented itself in late 2017, the school board was going through and, and is still, unfortunately, going through a severe financial crisis. I thought that my background might be helpful, so got appointed to that position, and that kind of led to everything since. And tell me about that run for mayor. We were talking this morning just over breakfast about 
you being pregnant and running for mayor. And, you know, it was also a complex time in your community. Uh, can you tell us the story about that experience jumping in that race and what that was like? In 2017, when I hopped in on the school board, the financial crisis was in large part because of corruption. And a couple years later, in July of 2019, the mayor at the time steps down because he got indicted for extortion and bribery and is now serving seven years in federal prison. So there's a there's an unfortunate corruption element to all of these pieces. Similar to deciding to, to jump into the school board, in the summer of 2019, I realized there's an open seat for mayor, a similar you know, financial issues, corruption issues. I felt that if there was going to be a time for me to serve in a capacity like that, this was it. I was midway through a pregnancy at the time, and so certainly, again, wasn't planning on, that, on the hopping into a mayoral race. But it was, it was something that I felt I had to do and could help the community and really take the Take the take a different direction, and being from somewhere else is very helpful in a situation like that because I don't have relationships with vendors, I don't have relationships with contractors. All some of the issues that led to corruption being possible, I, I don't have those relationships. I think voters saw that and wanted to make a change, and I'm you know, very glad that they put their trust in me, and they they did again a couple of weeks ago when I ran for a four-year term. Yes, congratulations. And when you step into that role and you're trying to rebuild trust, like, you know, it's a, it's crisis and also opportunity. How did you think about what your priorities were, how you wanted to reestablish trust of your electorate? Like, what, what was that? What were the, some of the strategies you used to when you stepped into office? Coming in in January 2020, we wanted to establish multiple forms of communication, and we wanted, I wanted myself to be at the, the forefront of those communications. And when you look back on a, on a prior administration where, unbeknownst to the community, the person is committing crimes, you very quickly lose trust, and, and that person obviously wasn't very communicative with the people of Scranton. So from the very beginning, we set up social media accounts. I started doing coffees in the community, which then 10 weeks into our term, the pandemic started, those became uh, town halls on Facebook, which I'm actually doing one tomorrow. We still do those every week. Um, that, that communication in multiple ways has been integral. We didn't know that the pandemic w would come on and it would be so critical to actually getting real-time information out. So we were lucky that we had set up those channels ahead of time. We also continue to do pop-up city halls. We've had 44 pop-up city halls. The team goes out into the, the very, all the corners of all the neighborhoods in the city to bring services. We bring the fire trucks and you can sign up to get a smoke detector, bring the police uh, police officers to, to chat about what's going on. The public works folks come and, and hand out recycle bins. We're trying to really bring not just communication, but services to the community and make sure that people in Scranton know that we're there to serve them. And did you have to also address the, the the corruption like did you have to look at the procurement or ethics and how did you sort of let people know that there was a new regime in town and that things had to change so i did a couple things that that on the surface make a difference aren't in terms of dollar and cents huge but i didn't take a car I didn't take the gas card. Uh, when the pandemic started, I actually paid back some of my salary because we were having to make some difficult financial decisions at the city. I tried to do some things that showed people that 
I was in it with them, that I'm a taxpayer too. Uh, in addition to, of course, you know, bumping up our internal controls and making sure that our, our financial pieces are, are sound, our, our processes are sound. We have Use OpenGov now for our technology platform, which is huge, uh, just ramped up in October. The technology piece, the foundation for everything we do is a huge piece of us being able to have better internal controls. And, uh, but I think, that, I think that those other smaller things are, they're kind of symbolic, but they mean a lot to people. So while you're stepping in and trying to be a mayor, which is always hard, but then also during a pandemic and in a subsequent economic crisis, you also have somebody running for president of the United States who uses and talks about Scranton all the time. Can you talk about what that is like to have a president who is, who is referencing your community on a regular basis? It sets the, the bar high, which is great. Summer of 2020, it was interesting. Um, we had so many media requests from people all over the world, and I, I just had to set a policy that I, I'm not going to do international media because, I mean, <laughs> reporters from every country were coming to Scranton, which was wonderful, and we tried to, to get them and give them a list, you know, go to these restaurants, talk to these business owners. It was cool because you'd have, uh, you know, a pizza shop owner that was in a, a paper in Switzerland. You know, it was, it was great. But you do set the bar high, and it was a great way to tell our story because in the wake of the 2016 election, we had a lot of reporters that came to our region and just told this recycled old coal mining country story. And it was actually pretty offensive. 2020 was a great opportunity to have the reporters sit with us and, and dig in deeper with them and show the economy we have now. We have a lot of entrepreneurship. We have a lot of education. We have hospitals and healthcare. We have a lot of pieces of an economy that goes far beyond the stories of, of coal mining. And it's been an opportunity with the, with the president being from here to tell our story, to tell our new story and talk about our future. I want to talk a little bit about that future because, you know, one of the challenges of being mayor is you're just trying to drink from the fire hose and manage the present, especially in a pandemic and multiple crises. But like when you think about the big mega trends that are hitting our world and the future of work, people may choose Scranton as a place to live because uh, now they can work from anywhere. And so they might as well live in a place where they can find a community and buy a home and do other things, and you look at the changing nature of retail and all the things that are hitting us, what's the future of Scranton? Like, what are you building towards? We have five university and colleges right in Scranton, and we've been working with those college and university presidents to ramp up our workforce development and figure out, and this is a big priority for us next year, what are the workforce initiatives we need to put together so that we've got the talent pool to bring in some of the, the businesses to supplement what we already have? So we actually do have a lot of manufacturing. It's certainly not what it was when we were the, the center of um, you know the steel industry over a century ago. But we have a lot of manufacturing, small manufacturers who, when they have a labor force there, can have a really successful business at a fairly low cost. So we would love to continue to grow those small and medium-sized manufacturers. But we also have, again, a low cost of living relative to New York City that's 100 miles away, Philadelphia that's 100 miles away. If you want to start a business and have a low cost of living in a place like Scranton, you can still make that meeting in New York that you have on Wednesday, but you can be able to you know, pinch those pennies and get that, get that business started in Scranton. Granton. So we're hoping that we continue to grow and foster that environment for entrepreneurship and utilize our colleges and universities, not just for education, which they're great economic drivers for us, but for the talent that they can, that they can bring up. And what do you see as the 
big trends that are that are hitting Scranton. Did you see some folks come out of the cities to establish lives during the pandemic? And what are the other big trends that you think put Scranton at, a, at an av- competitive advantage versus uh, other communities? We absolutely saw people moving from the bigger cities or the the suburbs, um, New Jersey, New York, uh, outside of Philadelphia to Scranton, where the you can buy a home with a yard that's far larger and more comfortable than you would be able to buy for that price in one of those other markets. So we are seeing that, and uh, I think we're seeing that there's. Uh, college kids that are considering staying in a city like Scranton as opposed to heading off to the big city after that. So I've had lots of interest in internships in our in our city and, and I know from talking to other business owners and things, they have people that are interested in staying in the city post-graduation, which is great and that hasn't always been the norm. So that, that idea that this generation right now coming out of COVID isn't necessarily you know headed to the big urban center right away is good for us. Um, and we also want to make sure that we're ready to absorb and have those have folks come back as they want to raise families. So we're working a lot on our neighborhood revitalization, on our housing, uh, on a host of things where we make it a very, very livable, very high quality of life place. And that's attractive for people. Maybe they grew up that grew up in Scranton, left for college, you know, started a family somewhere else, but want to come back to a community like ours to raise their family. Yeah, you create a good quality of life, you attract the people, which then attracts the companies and the investment and you could be off to the races. Scranton is also because in part because of the president, in part because Pennsylvania is a swing state, is, you know, symbolic of the which party is going to speak to voters. What are you seeing on the ground as a swing state and in your community specifically in terms of how the Democratic Party is resonating or not resonating with voters and midterms and then the upcoming presidential election? We had a decent year uh, just a couple weeks ago in our city and in our county, whereas in the statewide election, um, it was it was pretty tough on the Democratic side. We had some Supreme Court, uh, a Supreme Court race where we were hopeful that the Democratic candidate would win. Uh, that did not go well. Um, locally in Lackawanna County, the Democrat still held well, and that's a very stark contrast to Luzerne County just south of us, which has continued to get um, more and more red as, um, as we've moved away from 2016. In Lackawanna County, which obviously is where I live and what I feel I can speak to in, in Scranton, it's still a place where people are looking for pragmatic solutions. They're not just looking for talking points. I think Scranton voters are very smart. I think they really look at issues and ask, you know, what are you actually doing for me? Being um, at the, I was fortunate to be at the White House for the infrastructure bill signing on Monday, and all the conversations I had that day with other mayors and governors were about, okay, now it's time for us to deliver. We have to deliver on this. We have to have the stories. We have to show people that things are improving, that quality of life is improving, that you know that, that bridge isn't going to get built before 2024, but it needs to be started, and it needs to be a very clear plan on the ground of what what these dollars mean. And it's that's easier said than done. I think people are looking for that. I think that people aren't necessarily saying a Democrat or a Republican is going to do this for me. They're looking for the person and the people who are going to deliver those things for them. And we have a, a lot of work to do to show, not tell. And, you know, obviously, as a Democrat, I'll be continuing to support Democrats and and telling those stories and getting that work done as we go into 2022 and then into 2024. 
Can I ask, and I think this isn't something that a lot of people think about, but having been a small town mayor, talking to a small town mayor, this money comes down and it's hard for any government to move super quickly, given all the rules we have to comply with and everything else to, to implement it. But it's really hard on small cities because we don't have the internal infrastructure to, to ramp up quickly. We're small organizations and we can be agile, but we're not, we don't have unlimited capacity. And these small cities are the places that have to show results if we're going to win elections and, and improve the lives of people. What could the federal government do better to help small cities thrive with these federal dollars or policies generally? It's been helpful that in the rescue plan funding, the, there's a very clear ability to use funds for administrative costs, and we are taking our time to plan that out. We're hiring an auditing service that's, that has consulting services. We're creating a position that's an ARP director to be at the helm of that $70 million. We're taking our time to build out the structure because to your point, Ryan, we, we don't have a, a huge amount of capacity to just absorb $70 million and get it out the door in infrastructure projects. So we're appreciative of the federal government for doing that. And as we look into infrastructure funding, we'll be working with the state to, to get those dollars and hoping that the state does the same and puts the infrastructure in place so that it's a smooth process to get the dollars from the U.S. Treasury to the Commonwealth to cities like ours. On a personal level, using your Harvard Business School approach to things, like how do you allocate your time and resources, right? Like there's one of the things about being mayor is there's ribbon cuttings and classes to talk to and community events and there's policy discussions and then inevitably many crises, even, even when we aren't in a global pandemic. How do you think about where you allocate your time and, and capital? It's been so interesting because to have COVID be the first couple of years of my time in office where there weren't as many ribbon cuttings and you couldn't go into the classrooms. I was able to do more of the policy pieces, which is, I enjoy it, luckily, both both uh, sides of the activities of being mayor. But you, we did get into a habit kind of of me being a full work schedule day every single day. And then now, probably since the summer, and then especially now as you know, we're sitting in DC, we're at the, the New Deal Leaders Conference, things are in person now. Now, this fall, I've spent quite a bit of time at things like this, which I think are great for our city. They're good for me to be able to get ideas from others. But as we go into January and as this December, I need to really take a look, put the, you know, make the charts. Where am I spending my time? How should I be spending my time? Because it is a, a puzzle and one that's been thrown off with COVID in the way that we, our schedules were or were not. And is there anyone, I mean, one of the hard parts is that it's, often left to you uh, as to where you spend your time, but th but everyone is pulling. So how do you manage and set your priorities individually when, when everybody wants something? And it's all important. Communication remains our top priority, I would say, where I still have those weekly town halls and I prep for those and the team feeds things in to make sure that we're getting information out. I think that if I'm always prioritizing collecting information and getting that information from our community partners, working on projects with our community partners, and then getting that out into the community. If, if that's a goal of mine for noon Friday every week, 
that keeps me focused on the real task at hand, which is serving residents and getting information to them. And at the city, I mean, as you know so well, you know, we don't create the jobs, we don't service people with mental health issues ourselves. We're we're a connector and a navigator there. And so if, if I'm always thinking about how I'm getting that information out to people, then I think we are always putting our priorities on the right track. And how do you find time for for yourself and your family in order to recharge and also just be a normal human being. Maybe read some of that literature that uh, you got so excited about at the Honors College. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, our daughter's almost two, so I make sure that I'm home by you know six or seven o'clock as best I, as I can be. And it has gotten harder, though, as people have started to have more parties and conferences and those types of things. And, and so I've, I've got to just, I do need to do better at this, actually. I need to do a little bit better about saying no, maybe coming up. But I having a two-year-old actually helps because people understand that I can't be at everything every single night. I started, I, my kids are now 10 and 6, and I started bringing them to events. And when my son was about three or four, he would just take his shirt off and start running around, which is always <laughs> a good reason to be like, okay, now it's time to go. <laughs> like, and we're off. And we're off. <laughs> Before this gets any worse and any more out of hand. My final question is really I have something I hope to take advantage of someday, which is if I have 24 hours in Scranton and I want to feel the essence of your community, what, what do you tell me to do? So we have a lot of great food in Scranton. We have fantastic pizza. We have great Italian food. We have great hot dogs. There are not one, but two restaurants called Coney Island Hot Dog, and they're both fabulous. So there's, you know, I would map out an entire kind of pizza, hot dog, Italian. We've got some great Mexican food. I'd map out, you just come hungry. We'll map those out. In addition to that, there's a there's great spots on the office tour. You can go down to the pen paper building. Obviously, the president's uh, childhood home is really cool to see. We also have a national historic site. It's a national parks uh, center. It's the Steamtown train site. There's It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. You see these like really cool trains. It's great for kids, but you can totally geek out as an adult as well. And we have a coal mine tour where you actually go down into a coal mine. So we can we can put together a, a great tour that brings our industrial history, hopefully in trains, our future as well, along with the office, President Biden, and most importantly, some very good food. I love it. I, you know, basically it sounds like I'll eat and then you'll roll me out of there in a train. It sounds amazing. <laughs> well, Mayor Cognetti, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure. We've gotten to know each other through this, this Oregon connection, but to watch your work and to watch your reelection re has been fantastic. And we're, we're so happy to have you part of the New Deal Network. Thank you for all you do and uh, go Ducks. <laughs> go Ducks. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.